welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to not see you through the light. Um, I'm excited about again this morning as we continue on in our, our study through the, the armor of God and, and ways given to us. And, you know, ever since creation, the creation of the, the longbow and the bow and arrow, military defenses have had to figure out how do they devise a plan to protect their, their army, protect their, their soldiers from all these shots that are coming from afar, coming from down above. And, and some are pretty simple and, and others are, are highly complex. Recently in our news, we, we saw the, 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 the bombs being launched into Israel, the state of Israel. And they, back in 2011, they devised a very highly complex uh, piece of technology called the Iron Dome. And it's, it's really impressive. And again, as an engineer, I just I marvel at the, the complexity of what they've done. But basically what happens is when these rockets get fired in from Hamas into the state of Israel, they've got all these, these radar systems that are tracking every single one of these rockets. And, and then they devise, they determine the path or the trajectory of these rockets and will the rocket land within the uh, populated area. And if it does, then they launch another missile that tracks it and will actually explode right by it in order to explode the rocket in midair. And all of that is happening in a mere few seconds. It really is, is impressive in my mind, especially when you consider that these rockets being fired into Israel are about the size of a bat, of a baseball bat. And so, I mean, think about that. That's like needle in a haystack sort of thing that they're able to track down. And, and yet they're very, very effective, over 90% effective. And so I thought about that and I thought, you know, in many ways, we need our own little iron dome in our own life. And, and that's what Paul's speaking here as we continue on in Ephesians chapter six. So in verse 16, he says, in, in addition to all, so in addition to, you know, putting on the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and having our feet shod with the, the gospel, the good news of peace with God. He says, in addition to that, we're taking up or raising up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we want to look at this morning, what is this shield of faith? How does it operate? How does it extinguish these flaming arrows? And what are those flaming arrows in, in particular? So let's pray and, and see what God shows us this morning. Heavenly Father, we marvel at how you prepare everything from every, every song that you laid on Lisa's heart to line up with what you want to share on my heart. I'm excited that we get to, to see really how big you are how immense you are, how powerful you are, and the difference that you make in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that no matter how many times we've heard the, the glory of what we're about to look at, we will see it in a new way. We'll see it in a deeper way or with more confidence even to see how, how much bigger you are than anything that this world or, or Satan or the flesh can throw at us. In your name we pray, amen. 
Well, in, in Paul's day, I, I imagine that there were few images that were as terrifying as, as seeing a, a, you know, a storm of arrows come raining down on your head, especially if they were flaming arrows. And, and that's what Paul's talking about here. He's warning about these flaming arrows, these fiery darts, another translation says. But literally, the word there could be translated as missiles. And I think that, that even strikes more because I think of a missile having far more impact, far more effect than a, on a fiery dart. I just picture, you know, someone throwing it at the bullseye or triple six, tri- triple 20 sort of thing, right? It's this missile has this force and this power behind it. And, and that's, that's true. I think of what's happening with our enemy is that he's firing these, these missiles, these fiery missiles at us. And, and notice Paul doesn't say that you may or may not be hit by these things. He's not giving you the option of that, whether they're going to come or not. They're coming no matter what. And, and so there's no way that we could avoid the attack. The question is, what do we do when we're under attack? How do we respond to these arrows themselves? Because each of these arrows, what they're going to represent is they're going to represent some kind of a threat or some kind of a condemnation or some kind of a slanderous attack coming from the evil one. Now, in Revelation 12 and verse 10, there's a very popular verse about how Satan is is condemning or he's accusing, uh, he's the accuser of the brethren and he's doing it in front of, of our father. And that could mean at times where he's actually, he's slandering, he's condemning you to our father. But I think what he's also doing is he's slandering and condemning you and I in front of our father. And so these, these accusations, these threats, these condemnations, they're coming at us over and over again. And the evil one includes obviously Satan and the demonic as we've been looking at. But as we saw, it's more than that. It's also from the world and the flesh or some would call indwelling sin. And and together, those three, that is our enemy, the spiritual forces, sort of an unholy trinity of kind. And so these flaming missiles, these messages, they're going to come in a variety of different ways. I think of I think of these these messages of, of thoughts of shame that just begin to to flash across our mind. That message that there's something that is fundamentally wrong with you. That that there's something not right. There's something dirty. There's something, something that is preventing you from being lovable. And if anyone ever found out, if anyone ever saw how, how, bur- how much of a burden you are, how dirty or how flawed you are, how unlovable, if they knew the thoughts you have, they knew what you've done or what you've been through, they, they would want nothing to do with you. And so we have these messages of shame, or, or maybe we have messages of our past failures, M- you know, moments of temptations or addictions or the, the failure we, we were to, to love our, our kids and our spouse and our friends, the times that we, we lost our cool with, with our kids or our spouse, the moments we were unfaithful, the moments that we lacked integrity. And so all of these memories just start to flood our mind. Or, or maybe there's these messages of fear. Fear over the future. W- what happens if this happens? What if my loved one passes away? What if, what if my loved one contracts COVID? What if I contract COVID? Or maybe there's fear of vaccine. What if I get vaccinated and I get sick from it? Or, or maybe there's fear around the, the government control that we're seeing with these, these, health, uh, these vaccine passports and the segregated society. And what happens if this party wins? What happens if that party wins? What will our future hold? 
Will I be safe? Who's going to look after me? So all these, these thoughts of fear of who can I trust maybe flash across our mind. Or then there's messages of inadequacy. That I'm, I'm just kind of bluffing my way through life and, and I know that I don't have what it takes and I'm afraid that everyone else is going to find that out. Or I'm, I'm afraid that, that I'm, I'm just going to be overwhelmed and, and, and incapable with this task and so I just give up. And then I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me as a result of that. Or then there's messages of rejection of memories of bullying or others whispering about you behind your back and, and being excluded and unwanted and, and not fitting in, not, not feeling like you actually belong with other people, which piggyback now these messages of worthlessness, these memories of mistreatment. When, when people you trusted didn't care for you, either they were careless or they were mean and they betrayed you. And it reinforces that you're simply not worth it. Or there's messages of hurt and mistrust. Memories of hurts that, that end up sowing seeds of bitterness and mistrust to, and, and creating these walls and divisions. And, and it could happen with God. It could happen with friends. It could happen within the household of God or just society as a whole. Where we just basically wall ourselves off and withdraw. Or maybe there's just the messages of despair, just hopelessness. This, the sense that I'm powerless, that I, 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 I can't make a change. I can't make a difference that other people have all the control and power over me. And therefore there is no hope for me to be found. Only meaningless pain and meaningless sorrow. See pain and sorrow. You can endure if there's a purpose behind it, but, but meaningless pain and meaningless sorrow just absolutely sucks the life out of your soul. And so now you feel even more alone and even that God's forgotten and abandoned you. All these messages, these are these fiery missiles, these fiery flaming arrows that, that the enemy is, is launching at us, coming at us over and over again. And it was easy for me this week as I was kind of writing out those lists of things to visualize those, those messages because, because I experienced them so often. So often these, these messages of shame or worthlessness or inadequacy or failures and, and, and despair just, just constantly are barraging my mind. And, and I wish I could say I saw the, the attacks coming a mile away that, that when I, I knew they were coming and so I was ready for it and I was prepared for it, whether it be the thoughts of despair or temptation and, and maybe there are times that I should have been prepared, that the warning signs were there, but I just blew past it. I just ignored it, thinking that oh, it's okay, it's okay. And I succumbed to them. But then there are other times where they seemingly come out of the blue, where I, I feel like I'm ambushed by them. I'm, I'm sort of just, you know, going through life. I'm driving home from work or I'm just going about my day. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm jumped by an elite squad of ninjas. And they're just attacking me and striking me over and over again. And, I, and it feels coordinated <clears throat> because it starts with shame. And then, it, then all of a sudden fear comes in and then there's, there's failure and then there's inadequacy and then there's worthlessness and then it's back to shame. And it's like, it's like this, this, they've, figured it out and they planned it out and they choreographed all their attacks on me. And so there's a, that feeling of a failure as a husband, failing, failing to comfort and support joy and, and offer her what she needs on this day. 
And so while I'm processing that, then I feel like a a failure as a father and as a friend. And and I think about all the careless words I've spoken to Josh and and did I hurt him with those words? And, And have I spent enough time with my kids? Am I doing enough? You know, I know how important it is at these early years for them and, and I'm making sure their hearts are protected and are they, they know they're loved or, or am I withdrawing and trying to look after myself? And then I just start, maybe I'm not doing enough. And, and when I'm trying to answer all those questions and trying to figure out where do I fit in all that, then all of a sudden I get this thought that says, you know what? It's just better to give up. It's not working. Disengage. Go upstairs, hide in your room, and, and, and watch some Netflix, watch some sports, bring some snacks, chips particularly, and, and it's just everything will be okay. And so at that point, everything inside of me is just crumbling. I'm just feeling overwhelmed. I'm losing hope, feeling tired. I'm feeling alone and unknown. And so running sounds pretty good. It sounds uh, like it's my only option. Just to, just to numb the pain, numb the thoughts, and, and just give in to what the terrorist, my enemy, is saying to me. And so I go find some kind of electric device and, and chips and look to escape. But you see, it doesn't have to even be a massive attack like that. Because you think about it, you know, really one well-placed arrow is enough to take a soldier down. I mean, it just took one stone from David's slingshot and he slayed the giant. And so whether it's one arrow, that one thought, that one memory, that one message that I'm alone, I'm unlovable, whatever it is, if it found my weak spot, I'll go down. Or if it's the barrage of arrows, I might go down. And so we need some kind of protection. We need something to save us because otherwise what will happen is, is if it doesn't take me out right away, it will begin to sow those seeds, almost like that flaming arrow that maybe missed me, but landed right behind me. And I don't realize that it started a fire that will consume me. And so what can happen now is that the, these arrows will come and, and it, will, it will sow those seeds of bitterness and mistrust. I don't have my keys on me to see that's my car, but we'll see. That's why we need a shield. And Paul tells us actually this picture here of raising up our shield in protection. Well, to fully understand, I think the picture Paul's painting, I think it's helpful to understand that that Roman soldiers had two kinds of shields. If you've seen any kind of movies from that day, you've probably seen the shields. One is this this circular shield. And and often the gladiators, when they were in battle or any kind of hand-to-hand battle, that's what they would use. They had their sword in one hand, their shield in the other, and it allowed them now to have close contact, close battle. And so that was that shield, that round shield. But that's not the shield Paul's referring to. The other shield was, was about two feet wide and about four feet high. And it was that, that big rectangular shield. And, and this is what the, the soldiers would carry, not to protect them well from hand-to-hand combat, but to protect them from the arrows that were raining down on them. That's the shield he's telling us of. That's the shield he's telling us to raise up or simply to employ as a shield to protect us from it. And he says, this shield is a picture 
of what your faith is. That it's our faith that is going to protect us in the moment of these, of these attacks. So let's clear up some misconceptions around this idea of faith, because, because I think a lot of people, they struggle with that idea, mainly because they start to wonder, well, I just don't have enough faith. My, my faith is, is too little. And the thing about faith, Jesus says, is that you only need the faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed is, is super, super small and tiny. And he says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain to jump in the sea and it will do it. Because you see, the thing about faith is it's not the size of your faith, but the object of your faith. But you see, what's happened now is that people have been, have been abused by it. And they've said, well, if you had enough faith, then you would be healed. If you had enough faith, then you wouldn't feel anxious. And so this idea now that suddenly I'm, I'm now failing as a Christian, I'm failing as a believer because I don't have enough faith in Jesus. And Jesus, again, he's saying, it's not the size of your faith. Well, well and then someone said, well, what about the passages where Jesus talks about your little faith, right? The disciples, they couldn't cast out the demons because of their little faith. Or, or they were afraid in the boat because again, they're, oh, you have little faith. Well, well, the word there for little faith is, if I can pronounce it right, oligopistos. Everyone try and say that, oligopistos. Isn't that, Greek is a fun language, I think. It's got some cool sounding words, but it's, it's really a combination of two words. Pistis is the, is the word for faith, and oligo is the word for little, or maybe more accurately translated as brief. So think about that. It's not little in terms of size, but brief in terms of time. So how many times have you been engaged in a battle and you've engaged that faith, but then you let go of it and you give up and that faith didn't hold long enough. That's what he's talking about here. It's not this massive, massive faith. Because again, the thing about faith is simply not the size of your faith, but the object of your faith. I like to use this illustration. If, if I had all the faith in the world and I step out onto one millimeter thick ice, what's going to happen? I'm going to go crashing through. I've had too many hamburgers in my life, right? I am going to crash. Not enough chips, just so we're clear, but too many hamburgers, right? So I will go through that ice regardless how much faith I have because I've placed it in an inadequate object, one millimeter thick ice. But let's say I've got almost zero faith. But now you throw me out onto 10 meter thick ice. What's going to happen? I'm not going to go through. I'm going to be spread out, you know, terrified with such little faith but it's in an object that can sustain me. And so you see that we need to see that our object of faith is Jesus. And our problem has been that it's been too brief. We, we quickly let go of trusting in Jesus. And that means we place our faith in something else. Cause see, the reality is everyone has faith. It's just a question of where are you going to place that faith? So Muslims, they have faith in, in following the five pillars of Islam. Jews, they have faith in the, in the law, the 10 commandments and the other 600 plus commandments, thinking if they follow those things, that will be a righteousness to them. Even atheists have faith. 
They have faith that there is no God and they are therefore a God unto themselves. That's the craziest faith, by the way, but that's their faith. And as Christians, our faith is in Jesus Christ, but our problem has been that we hold on to it for too brief of a time. We let go of trusting Jesus and place that faith somewhere else. And so maybe what we do now is we place our faith in what the world has to offer us. That if you make enough money, if you get comfortable, if you, if you dress the right way and you think the right way and you act the right way, then you'll be welcome and, and we'll love you then. And you'll find that love and acceptance in the world and what it has to offer you. Or, or maybe we, we place our faith in what the flesh tells us. That we can find that, that love and acceptance in, in watching you know, a, a dirty movie or, or drinking too much or eating too much or, or just cheating our way through life. Or, or maybe we think it's actually going to be other people. That if, if they love me, then I'll be okay. That, it, that their love will somehow give me value and worth. Their love will somehow make me okay and make me accepted. Or maybe the worst kind of faith is faith in faith. Where we place our faith in our own selves, in our own faith, which is really just another form of religion where I think it's about me trying to earn something from God, that God, I've done my part. Now you owe me. I've read my Bible. I've gone to church. I've given, I've sacrificed. I've, 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 I've abstained from all these sinful things. I even gave up country music, God. And now you need to pay me back. And it doesn't work because the object of faith is flawed. The object of faith in those, all those scenarios is, is something other than Jesus. And so we need to see that, that the faith needs to be in him and the new covenant. This new, new covenant, this arrangement, this promise that God has made to you and I. A promise that is solely based on his, his work and his performance. So I thought, I thought it might be helpful to kind of make some simple statements about what this faith looks like. And, and I like to think of it as, as this is our starting point. And what I mean by starting point is that every day when you roll out of bed, this is your starting point. And then throughout the day, every situation, this remains your starting point, meaning it never changes. It is as rock solid. It is guaranteed. And so this is where you are, even after your worst day. Even when you've given in to every temptation and you've, you've chased after the world or the flesh or other people or even religion, this remains true of you and I because of the new covenant, because we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we're in him. And so this first statement I think is so important is that you are in Christ, that you are united and therefore one with him. There's so much power in this truth. It really is central to, to what we believe that because I'm in him and I'm one with him, that, that I can never separate that. That many people have this idea that, well, I can turn my back on God. But you know what happens when you turn your back on God? You know who you're facing? God. Psalm 139 says it so well. David says, where can I go that I will not be face to face with you? No matter where you're at, what you're doing, you never break that connection with him. He's right there 
with you and I the whole time. Which means you can't get any closer to him. You and I, we don't earn our way. We don't, we don't improve upon that connection with him. Our starting point is you're one with him. And you can't get near, you can't get closer. You can't walk away from him and he'll never walk away from you. And because we're one with him, because we're in him, scripture teaches that what happened to him on that cross happened to us. And that's so powerful because that means that you and I have been given a change of identity. That you and I are now a new creation with a shame-free identity. See, you're not just a forgiven sinner. He doesn't just come along and says, okay, you really screwed up in the past, but we're going to wipe that off the slate. We're going to clean off the blackboard. And now, now try harder and do better. No, he, he completely changed who you are. You were literally born again. The sinner was crucified in Christ, was buried with Christ, and is now forever gone. And you and I, we walked out of that tomb with Jesus as a brand new creation, with a, with a new identity that shame cannot stick to. That new person has zero shame attached. There is nothing wrong with you. You are now fundamentally right, fundamentally good, fundamentally pure. Now, that doesn't mean you won't feel shame. Oh, no, no, no. Trust me. You and I will feel shame from time to time when those attacks come, when, when those, the, the enemy tries to place that shame on us. But it's not true of you. It doesn't belong to you. You don't have to accept it. You can actually now reject it and say, who you're talking about doesn't exist anymore. I'm someone else. Go knock on someone else's door. Or this truth that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Remember the breastplate of righteousness, protecting all the vital organs, that you and I are loved and accepted and approved. First John 4 talks about that, that knowledge of knowing that you are loved says that you no longer have to have fear in the day of, of day of judgment. Think about that. That day when you and I stand before Jesus, there's no need to be shaking knees. There's no need to be, be terrified and worried, waiting for that, that slap of judgment, that slap of condemnation to come down upon you. Instead, he's just going to envelop you with his love. Because it says that just as Jesus is, so also are you today. Isn't that amazing? That, that just as Jesus is righteous and holy, so are you, John says, today. Not someday when you get to the sweet by and by, but right now. And so with that means that we're completely forgiven. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter how many times you did it. Doesn't matter who you did it with. And it doesn't matter that you're going to do it again. You're completely forgiven. The only sin that's not forgivable is the rejection of God's gift of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. But if you've accepted Jesus, if you placed your faith in him as best you knew how, then you don't have to worry about that one anymore. It's only the unbeliever, those who've rejected Jesus, that continue to remain with that unforgiveness. But for you and I, We've already been forgiven. 
And it's not when you confess that sin that you suddenly become forgiven. Because think about it. When were you and I forgiven? 2,000 years ago. Long before you drank that Pepsi. You've already been forgiven. Another one. You are complete in Christ. Remember, this is our starting point. That that you don't graduate to this point. That instead you and I start out 100% complete. We don't need to develop it. We don't need to achieve it. We don't need to earn it. It's ours. Now, please understand, you and I will mature and we will grow in our understanding, in our relationship with God, but it's not changing who we are. And I was given the great illustration of that the day my oldest, my Hannah was born. And she's, she's literally minutes old, seconds old, and I'm, she's in my arms. And God says to me, in my arms, I'm holding a complete female. She hasn't become more female as she's grown up. She's simply becoming the woman she's always been. And that's the case for you and I. You don't become more complete, more righteous, more holy, more anything. You and I are simply growing up and maturing in what we possess already. And because we're complete in him, it says that Christ now lives in you. Jesus Christ himself, the son lives in you and me. And therefore we have everything we need for today. Everything we need for life and godliness. You and I, we don't face life alone. We don't fight temptation alone. We don't need to conjure up our own strength and our own power to somehow be like Jesus, which is really good news because I can never be like Jesus. Instead, I get to allow and trust Jesus the very Jesus who overcame sin and death, I can allow that Jesus to be Jesus through me. Jesus through me to you. And so see, my job here at New Life is not to be the best lead pastor I can be. My job is to trust Jesus to be that lead pastor through me. And you see, he now gets to, 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 to select his will, to impress upon me what his, his will and his desire is, And then he goes and does it according to his good purpose. And so he provides that strength and that power. All he's requiring of me is to trust him, to trust Jesus to be Jesus. Here's another statement I think is so critical that the flesh and blood are not our enemy. Yeah, this is so powerful. And it's why we keep coming back to it over and over again, right? Because other people are not our enemy. It's not our, not our spouse, not our children, not the friend who betrayed you, not the people who disagree with you, not the, not the people who act like trolls on social media, although they're close, but they're not. Our enemy, Satan, the world, the flesh, they have come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's their mission statement. And if we think that our enemy is flesh and blood, if we think for a moment our enemy is other people, we're going to turn our sights on them or we'll be guarded against them and expose ourselves now to the attacks of the, the true enemy. And so we need to remember over and over again that people are not our enemy. People are the ones we get to love. People are the ones we get to, to pour out love on too. And then we have this last one about how trials and tribulations are not the end, but an opportunity to bring light into a dark place. 
See, this week when I was thinking about, God, what, what are some of the statements of faith that are so important that we hold on to? When he gave me this one, I, there's something inside of me that just melted. And I thought, this, this is what we need to hear, especially for right now. Because see, we all find ourselves in the midst of a crisis. And when, when you're you know, having these fiery missiles you know, rain down upon you, you're especially in the midst of this crisis. And, and if we look at these trials and tribulations, we think that there's somehow they're a statement of, of what God thinks of me or a statement of the character of God. Because that's really what the enemy is trying to do is, is distort who we think God is through these things. Then I'm going to pull away from him and I'm going to let go of that faith in him and grab onto something else instead. And so these trials and tribulations, we need to understand they're, they're not God's punishment. They're not a statement of God's love or betrayal upon us. But really, I think these trials and tribulations are the the best way for the the light and life of Jesus to be expressed through us. See, think about it. Light shows up best in dark places. And so really what I want us to see here, church, is that you and I, we are in an incredibly gifted opportunity in time where we see all of this, this, this torqued up tension, this torqued up anger, this division and this fear. And we have an answer. We have the answer, which is Jesus Christ. And so now we get to bring this, this answer and this hope into this world. And it's interesting, I, I look at social media and I, and I see all these Christians posting about why you need to be vaccinated or why you don't get vaccinated and, and back and forth. And, and both are arguing, this is life and death issues. And I've been thinking, yes, sure, they are. They are important. But yet we spend more time fighting for people to see it from that perspective than we do in trying to fight for people to see the love of God. That we're quick to, quick to offer our opinion on COVID and lockdowns, but not so quick to offer our opinion on how much Jesus loves people. And really, we have this great opportunity right now when we see people afraid, afraid of COVID or afraid of lockdowns, afraid of vaccines, to say there is something greater. As, as Lisa was, was, was praying during the song, did you hear it? That, that our God reigns. He reigns over COVID. He reigns over the lockdowns. He reigns over passports. He reigns over the government. He reigns over everything. And so these trials and tribulations are the opportunities for us to experience the life of Jesus in each and every one of those moments. Paul said it this way in in 2 Corinthians 4, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. That's you and I. We're constantly being delivered over death. We're constantly experiencing trials and tribulations and difficulties. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And so if we can see these trials and tribulations in a whole new way as opportunities, opportunities to see Jesus, to see Jesus in our own life, but for others to see Jesus through us. Now, now I don't have to be afraid. In fact, to be honest, I get a little excited because whenever I'm going to see Jesus, I know that's a good thing. 
And he's promised that he's going to work it out for my good. Now, do I say, oh, that's great. And off I go and everything's fine. No, because I have a brief faith too often. I start there and then I just crumble and let it go. And what happens is I, I let that faith go and I go running to somewhere else. And I want you to picture the, the soldier in the battlefield. He's got his shield and the, the arrows are running down and the couple arrows hit his shield and maybe even poke through a little bit and he gets scared. And what's the instinct to do? Turn and run. Well, the moment that soldier turns, what is he exposed? His whole body. And so many soldiers died in battle, not from when they were being faced on, but when they turned and ran. Because the moment they turned, they were exposed. And now they just took that one arrow straight through the heart from the back and it was game over for them. And so Jesus says this in in John chapter 8. He says, if you continue in my, my word, I like how one translation says, if you hold to my teachings, again, not just a brief hold and let go, but if you really hold to my teachings, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth. Not just know about, you will know in an experiential way, the truth about being one with me the truth of my power and being complete in me, the truth of my righteousness that I've given to you as a gift, the truth that you're completely forgiven and that you've been washed clean and that you are right now pure and will always be pure. The truth that in the trials and tribulations, my life will be manifested through you. If you hold to it, you will see it and you will know it. And that truth will make you free. And you see, freedom is not an experiential thing. Freedom is something that you and I can experience in the midst of great torture. I'm just remembering right now of a, um, of a man named Viktor Frankl. He wrote a book, um, the, the search for meaning, I think it was called. And in that book, he, he outlined his, his journey as an Austrian Jew during world war two in the concentration camps. And, and he, he's very frank about the brutal conditions in which he lived under. The lack of food and lack of good clothing and sleep and, and all the abuse and the torture they went through. But in there, he says he was able to find a way that he was more free than his captors. He was more free than the guards with guns who were going home every day. Because he realized there was something that they could not take away, which was deep inside of him. And you see, you and I, we don't, we're not bound by this world. We're not bound by the governments. We're not bound by, by illnesses or anything. You and I are free in Jesus. And we hold to that. And we hold firm with our shield when those fiery flames, those, those, sorry, those fiery darts, those missiles come raining down us. We hold with our shield and we are safe there. Well, as we close, I, I just want one more picture for you to imagine is, and I think it's really powerful because you see when these soldiers, these Roman soldiers were, were marching forward and, and these arrows are raining down on them. They wouldn't just be individual shoulders, soldiers spread out socially distanced. What would they do when they saw the arrows come up? 
they'd create what they called a shield wall. And maybe the command would go out, shield wall, and immediately they would gather together and all the soldiers in the front would place their shields down and they'd create a wall across the front. So any low arrows would hit those, those, uh, those shields. And then all the other ones behind would raise their shields up and create a canopy, a shield above. And they became now an impenetrable shield. And now it wasn't just one, it was an army protecting one another. And I just think about what a beautiful picture of what the church of Jesus Christ can be. That when when we are attacked, we don't spread, we don't run and and separate, we we don't cut ourselves off. That's the moment where you run together. You cry out shield wall and you gather as close as you can. And now we all protect one another. And we create this impenetrable shield. And really, I think of one of the ways to do that, again, is that it's a shield of faith, faith in Jesus. And one of the great ways to do that is through affirmation of encouraging and affirming and reminding one another about what we believe, reminding one another about the truth, the truth of who who Jesus is, the truth of of who he is in you and us in him. See, because I'm in him and he's in me, I've got everything I need and we can now affirm one another in terms of, I see Jesus in you when you do this. I, I was just watching this morning and, and watching Pastor Greg and just how he was just interacting with people. And I just, I just began to smile inside, just thinking how incredible he is, how gifted he is to make people feel welcomed, to make people feel loved. And, and just to ask them about how their day was and to encourage them and, and just help them make them feel accepted. It's why I think people are drawn to him. I mean, quite frankly, you don't have to be near to, hear, near to him to hear him. So that's not the case, but they're, they're drawn to him because of how well he affirms and encourages people. And I hope as he hears that, he himself feels affirmed and encouraged because it's true. And now we get to be a wall of protection to one another. And you see, sometimes, sometimes you just don't feel like you have that strength to raise up your own shield. You know, that's okay. Because sometimes what would happen is, is when a soldier got hit and he was wounded, they would move the shield wall around them. And everyone else would raise up their shield to protect them. Again, that's what the church can be. We, can bet, we get to be that to one another. And so if, if you're feeling good, but you see someone struggling, that's your clue to form a shield wall around them. But if you're struggling, if you're the one that's been hit by multiple arrows and you're lying on the ground bleeding out, then be willing to call out and ask for help. Be willing to reach out to someone and say, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this, this addiction or this sin. I'm terrified. I'm so afraid that, that I'm going to get COVID or I'm so afraid of, of the, the government control. I'm just afraid. And allow one another to gather around and protect them. Protect you. Because what you will see is that, that you are more than your failures. You, you are far more than your successes. You're far more than, than your performance. 
You're far greater than your perceived flaws and shortcomings. You are someone that is truly beloved, truly valued, truly worth, worth something. So much so that Jesus himself sacrificed everything and died on that cross for you and I. And because of that, you are welcomed here. And we want to now come around you and support you as best we know how. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you have not abandoned us to this battle. You have not abandoned us to the attacks of our enemy. That you have, you have given to us a faith in you, a trust in your strength and your power. That you ultimately is that shield. Our faith is merely raising you up to take the blow, to take the hit in defense of us. And I pray, Father, that we would, we would hold to that truth, that our faith would not be brief in time, that we would endure the battle knowing that you're the only one that can protect us. You're the only one that can save us in this battle. And that when we're under heavy attack, we would reach out in this shield wall from the church, your bride, as you've designed it, would come and now you have an army of people trusting you, protecting one another. And I know how that will intimidate and scare off our enemy. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.